Good morning. We are so glad that you're here today. Thank you for being a part of our service this morning at Lake Point Church. And uh, again, Pastor Tom, I mentioned it, but if it's the first time with us, so glad that you're here. As you came in, I, I hope you receive a program. And inside that program is a little card. And I would just ask you to take a minute to fill that out. At the end of the service, as you leave, there's offering baskets throughout the building. You can just drop in one of our offering baskets, or, or you can just give it to me. I'll be in the lobby, got a free gift that we'd like to give you, and I thank you for coming today. And if you're watching online, we're, we're so glad that you're able to, to hang out with us wherever you might be, and uh, we, are, we are glad that you're with us this morning. Um, we're really excited um, to have my friend, Pastor Larry Allen, uh, to be our special guest. And, and um, Pastor Larry retired from Warren Woods Baptist Church about two and a half years ago. I've been pastoring there for quite some time and retired. And, um, and, and uh, he's been a mentor uh, in my life for the last 12 years. And I moved up here, and one of the first pastors I got to meet in our area that embraced me and, and my family was Pastor Larry. We're honored to have his wife, Mary. Mary's over here as well, and she's, uh, uh, we're glad to have her as well. And you're going to be incredibly blessed this morning by Larry's story of what God has done in the last two and a half years. So let's give us a warm, late point welcome to Larry Allen. You shouldn't put me in charge of too many things. <laughs> I'm glad today that uh, uh, Tom and Sammy Carey and their grandson Noah are here because somewhere in the next few minutes, you're going to think I'm lying. Uh, you're just going to think, no, that can't possibly be true. But they're witnesses of that. They actually walk through us. Uh, I love y'all <laughs> through this journey. And so they'll testify to the truth of it. And I, I apologize uh, for being emotional, but I'm about to tell you something remarkable. Um, I'm going to use a psalm today, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Uh, David wrote this late in his life, and as he contemplated uh, what the Lord had done for him, he, he accounted for five different things that he thought were worthy of his giving his entire self to Jesus or to God. And uh, I want to use that and sort of wrap the story I'm about to tell you around these verses, if that's okay. Uh, it goes like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, uh, who delivers your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies and satisfies your mouth with good things. On March the 2nd of last year, 2021, I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I was in the intensive care unit of the William Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, uh, and I was about to die. The doctors thought they were losing me. I thought I was dying. Um, I had a clear sense uh, that I was about to die. 
my wife and daughter, they had allowed to be there, and uh, I asked them, I asked if, them, if they could come to the bed, and I told them goodbye. Uh, I told them that uh, I thought I was going to die. Uh, my other daughter, my baby girl, was in Minnesota. I had them call her, and they held the phone to my face. Again, so I could tell her goodbye. I was dying. I was, uh, for years I had said I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. But I always wondered if I could pull that off when I was dying. It turns out I could. I was at peace with it. Uh, I told the Lord, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's blow this popsicle stand. I didn't tell him that exactly. Uh, but I was ready. I was ready to die. Somewhere else, someone else was also about to die. I'm going to take you back in time so I can tell you why I got in that predicament, okay? Is that all right? It don't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. The end of October, the last Sunday of October, 2019, I had finished 45 years of ministry and was retiring as the pastor of Wormwoods Baptist Church. And uh, they gave me a great party, a good riddance party. And, and uh, we began a brand new journey. We had decided that we would live and travel full time in an RV. We had sold our home and most of what we had and everything we had, we crammed into our RV and off we went. We literally left that night after the, the party. And we started an adventure that was just incredible. Over the next several uh, months, well, 13 months, we traveled. Uh, we would uh, uh, travel from uh, uh, Devil's Tower, Wyoming, uh, to uh, Cape May, New Jersey. Uh, we would travel from uh, Lake Superior, the shore of Lake Superior, to the Gulf of Mexico. We traveled to 22 uh, states, uh, spent at least one night in 22 states, traveled a little bit over uh, 20, uh, almost 28,000 miles. We camped all over the place. We had, we had spend nights at Walmart out in the parking lot with our RV or, or Cracker Barrel. Uh, we uh, stayed at other business parking lots, Home Depot and some other places. We would uh, uh, camp in national parks, state parks, uh, uh, RV resorts, private campgrounds, all over the place over the next 13 years. But our favorite way to camp was boondocking. Uh, that's just where you pull up somewhere where there's no hookups. Uh, you're just out there on your own. Uh, but we were equipped for that, and we would just pull up uh, to those places, and we would boondock. We uh, stayed uh, for a night in a tea plantation in Mississippi. I didn't even know we had tea plantations, uh, but this place would allow you to uh, camp there, and we spent a night there. We stayed at, at, at wineries. Uh, we stayed at farms. Uh, we stayed in many, many, many places. My favorite two places that we stayed was one in uh, South Dakota where, where we camped literally on a bluff overlooking the Badlands. Uh, our front yard was the Badlands. 
In fact, when we pulled up on our site that day, a big horned sheep came up to say hello and see who was in his neighborhood. It, it was incredible. And we stayed there and then went on to the Black Hills and then we traveled north into North Dakota uh, to my second favorite place. It's just a hilltop outside of Medora, uh, South, uh, North Dakota, uh, just across, literally just across the fence from Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And we pulled up on top of a hill. Uh, we left the road. We, we found a place that had a little uh, circle in it where you could camp, but it was full. Guy walked up to me and said, you know, I walked up on that hill the other day. It's pretty flat up there. I bet you could get this trailer up there. We had a 38-foot uh, uh, fifth wheel, pulled it with a 3,500 ram, and I threw that truck in four-wheel drive, and off we went, and we got up on top of that hill and stayed there for 10 days. It was incredible. We were having a great time. November of 2020 found us in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas in an RV resort. We were in tall cotton down there. That's a southern term, which means it was really cool. Uh, not literally cool, figuratively cool. That was Texas, you know. But we were going to spend the winter at the uh, Park Place uh, RV uh, Resort, Park Place Estates RV Resort, and I was going to serve as a chaplain. I was going to be that, camp, that Parker's uh, pastor for the winter. Uh, the people from all over the north come there. They had room for 800 units. It was a great big joint. I was excited to do that. I was serving with uh, uh, Christian Resort Ministries International, and uh, we were going to have a good time that winter. COVID was going on, and things were a little bit crazy, and it was hard for us to do our services, but we were managing. We were doing it. But about two or three weeks into our stay, I, didn't be, I began to not feel quite right. I felt like I was losing energy and I lost my appetite, which for those that know me, that is a major thing. Um, my legs began to, to swell and I just wasn't well. And I just kept, at my age, you don't know if you're old or sick. Now, that's the truth. It's hard to tell the difference. And, and men won't admit they're sick anyway. And so I kept having that conversation in my mind. And finally, on the day after Thanksgiving of 2020, I decided that I probably was sick and needed to go uh, to a doctor. Well, my doctors, we left in Michigan. We were a long way from my doctor. He don't make house calls and sure don't make them in Texas. So we, we Googled it and found an emergency care place, which turned out, I didn't even know there was such a thing, turned out to be an emergency room, but it wasn't attached to a hospital. It was a standalone emergency room, and, uh, which was God's providence, but we went there. Uh, they ran some tests, decided they'd do an X-ray, and then they decided they'd do a CAT scan. I told my wife when they did that, something's up. And they told me that morning that I had cirrhosis of the liver. Now, everybody expects the pastor to come down with that. It's very common among pastors. <laughs> all the heavy drinking we do. It's all that communion I served in those 45 years. I've got a workman's comp claim pending. 
I thought I had cellulitis. I'd had that several times. It caused swelling in my legs, and they'd give me antibiotics uh, for a few days in the hospital, send me home. I'd take more, 10 days more, and I'd be good to go for a while. But no, they said it was cirrhosis of the liver, and they took me that day by ambulance uh, to the uh, Valley Baptist Hospital in Harlingen, Texas. I stayed there about eight days. They treated me uh, 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 for the swelling in my legs, gave me antibiotics. They, they treated some varices, which is a, a deal in your throat that's pretty gross that they took care of as a result of the liver failure. Uh, but I, they thought I was well enough, and they sent me home, home being a fifth wheel in RV park. Uh, we stayed there until the day after, uh, no, till the 23rd of December. Uh, and I'd gotten so bad, I thought, I, I just need to go back. And they admitted, and we, this time we went to the real emergency room at the hospital, same hospital, and they admitted me that day, and I would be there for the next 31 days. Not long after they admitted me to the hospital, uh, they said that not only did I have advanced stages of liver failure, uh, that my, but my kidneys were in advanced failure and that I was in critical condition. Uh, my wife called our daughters and told them what was going on, and on Christmas Day, they left their families and came to Texas and stayed with us uh, till we would leave there. I asked the doctor, you know, pastors deal with sick folks all the time. I've been in the hospitals as much as a lot of doctors. In fact, more than most of your PCPs because they don't go to the hospital anymore. Uh, and so I knew a little bit about health and, and uh, health care and those kind of things. And so I asked my kidney doctor, who, by the way, you know, I'm just some knucklehead off the street uh, down there just for the season. And the doctor they assigned me to, the nephrologist they assigned me to, that's a fancy word for kidney doctor, was the medical director of the hospital. So, you know, there are a number of times in this story where you can see God planning ahead of my arrival. Um, but he, I asked him, I said, what about dialysis? I know that helps people with bad kidneys. What, what about that? And he told me, he said, in all of my years of practice, I have never seen that successful with someone who has a failing liver and failing kidneys. He said, what will happen is during the dialysis, your blood pressure will plummet and you will likely not be able to recover. Now what that would mean if I wasn't getting dialysis to try to sustain me was that my body was gonna fill with poison and before long, because my liver and my kidney, both of those organs that's supposed to be cleaning my system were failing that I would probably die. And I, I, I just, Mary and I talked about it, I, I decided I'd rather go fighting uh, than just lay there and die. And the liver doctor came in to see me and I told him uh, that I wanted to try the dialysis and he said, you know what, I, I'll support that. And uh, we talked to the nephrologist and he agreed. He wanted me to know how risky it was. He, know, he wanted me to know what could happen. 
but they did the dialysis and my blood pressure did drop, uh, but they were able to get it back up and sustain it at a reasonable letter, le uh, 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 spot. And I was able to get just a little bit better. Now we're a long way from family and the friends who love us. And honestly, we had no reason to believe that I wasn't gonna die. In Texas, they told me that I would not be eligible for a transplant. And so we began to think about what we could do, what we should do, and it only made sense to come back here to Michigan because our oldest daughter lives here. We left a church full of people, most of whom loved us, and have people like Scott and others around the area that uh, know us and love us. And I thought I needed to be somewhere when I died that my wife would have the support that she would need. And so, how, am I gonna, how are they gonna get a man that's so sick from Texas to Michigan? And how are we gonna get our house back here? About two months before we started traveling, an organization is called the Family Motor Coach Association, FMCA. It's an RVer club. Um, we joined that. It had always been exclusively for people with motor homes. That's the reason that's called the Motor Coach Association. But about two months before we retired, they opened it up to everybody. And we joined. I joined because they give you this plaque to put on the back of your car. It's cool looking. I thought, that'd be cool. <laughs> and they had a neat magazine and they have rallies and stuff. Well, when I got my first magazine from the FMCA, I read an article in there about some guy that tried to die on a trip somewhere and that the FMCA brought him back home. And not only brought him back home, his wife back home and their RV back home. It was, it's one of the benefits of the club that I didn't even know we had, but God knew that I would need it someday and he led me to join that club. And, and about midway through my hospital stay in Texas, I told my wife, I said, you know, I think we got this thing called FMCA Assist. Why don't you get Melissa, our oldest daughter, start looking into it? And she contacted them. And for the rest of my time in the hospital, they monitored my care. And all they were waiting on was for my doctors to cut me loose and say I was well enough, strong enough to travel to Michigan. Finally, on my 31st day of the hospital, they let me leave there. Uh, the EMTs came to my room, got me from my bed onto the gurney and wheeled me down to an ambulance that was waiting for us that took us to the airport. And there, a registered nurse who would make the trip with, with me uh, was waiting at the curb with a wheelchair. They loaded me off the gurney into the wheelchair and uh, he took me to the plane. They got me in my first class seat, baby. I was built for first class. <laughs> put me in a first class seat. The nurse sat right beside me. They put my wife and daughters back in the cheap seats. <laughs> they flew me from Texas to Michigan, uh, Detroit airport, where an another ambulance was awaiting me. 
And they brought me by wheelchair to the ambulance, put me on another gurney, loaded me in the ambulance, and took me to the Shelby Rehab, uh, just over here, there, somewhere. <laughs> the hope was to get me strong enough to go home. Five days into my visit uh, there at Shelby. By the way, they wouldn't leave, let me leave my room. COVID had shut everything down. My family couldn't come. My daughter and grandkids would come to the window. I had a first floor room. Well, I think they only have one floor, but they would come to the window and wave at me through the window, and I would wave back, and we'd call and talk on the phone while they were there. Five days, the doctor, they have a doctor there, came in and was concerned. My blood work that day had showed that my white blood cells had plummeted. She said, it's so dramatic, it could be a mistake, and so we're gonna test your blood again. They don't have an on-site lab or even phlebotomist. They had to get somebody to come do it, and they took my blood again. Uh, they shipped it off. And early the next morning, like one or two o'clock in the morning, they came in, and my white blood cells had plummeted even further. And it was urgent that they get me to the hospital. An ambulance took me around three o'clock in the morning, and I told them, take me to William Beaumont Royal Oak. I picked that. Mary says we picked it because Tom and Sammy was there. I didn't know enough to do that at the time. I picked it because it's closest to my daughter, closest big hospital to my daughter. They took me over there, got me in the emergency room. It's COVID, so they do the you know, typical test. Uh, they shoved that thing so far up my nose it smelled like poop when they pulled it out. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I tested positive for COVID. Now, I don't know if you're keeping track or not, but my kidneys are trying to kill me. And my liver is trying to kill me. And now COVID is attacking my bone marrow and trying to kill me. Guess what? They admitted me to the hospital that, there that day. And I would be there for the next uh, 98 days. I don't care, a long time, <laughs> a long time. 61 of those days would be in intensive care. They began to treat me. The good news about that is in Michigan, you can get a chance to transplant and being in the hospital, oh, that's right, I give this story. Being old and sick too does affect your memory. Okay, let me, let me speed up. Um, I was only in the hospital eight days that time. I'm sorry, I get that all wound up. Eight days, uh, they sent me back home and I actually got to go home, which Mary, in, in all this time, when all this is going on with me, she's left trying to establish a home for us. Uh, we had gotten an apartment by the grace of God. I believe God moved to help that happen because they were hard to come by then. And we got an apartment. Uh, a friend who had also begun to uh, become a full-time RVer but was smarter than us, didn't sell all his junk. He put all his junk in a storage facility. He texted us and said, go to my storage facility and take everything you need. You think God wasn't preparing for this journey? I went home. 
I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get out. Uh, I was home. Uh, I think you were there to help me get in the house, weren't you, Tom? It took about five, four or five people to get me in the house. Uh, but I, I went there, and uh, two weeks in, I had an appointment with a liver doctor. We were hoping to begin the process to get on a transplant list because it was possible in Michigan. That day when I went to see him, he admitted me to the hospital again. And that's when I would be there for the next 98 days. I don't know how many days in, but they, uh, I began to uh, pass blood. I had internal bleeding somewhere. Are you keeping count? Liver failure, kidney failure, COVID, internal bleeding. On March the 1st, they did surgery uh, to find and correct the internal bleeding. That next day, March the 2nd, I was dying. I wasn't going to make it. Nobody thought I would make it. But I woke up the next morning. I mean, I don't remember anything after I told my wife and girls goodbye. Uh, but I woke up the next morning and sometime I even felt I was so much better I was able to eat something that day. Sometime during the day, the uh, head of the transplant team came in and said, Mr. Allen, you have made it both on the liver and the kidney transplant list. That was March 3rd. On March the 4th, he came back into my room. That's the next day. I don't know if you're familiar with calendars, how they work. But <laughs> on March the 3rd, they told me I made the list. And on March the 4th, he came in and said, Mr. Allen, we have found your organs. He said, now a doctor's going to have to go look at them to be sure they're okay. But if everything's okay, we're going to do your surgery tomorrow. I don't know where he was, don't know who he was, but a 19-year-old boy had died. And I don't know if he had signed up to be an organ donor or if his parents or loved ones had to make that impossible decision at at his time of death. But somebody decided that he could be an organ donor. And bless God, I got his organs, I got his liver and one of his kidneys. On March the 5th, they're wheeling me to the, hospital, to the surgery room around seven o'clock at night. And uh, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I don't even remember them wheeling me down the hall in the picture that may or may not have showed up. Oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, I don't remember. I do remember, for some reason, getting into the operating room. I remember how light it was, how bright it was. I was astonished at how many people were in there. There were just lots and lots of people in there, and it seemed like all of them uh, was doing something. And I remember being on the operating table and they put an, a, a, an extension up on each side of my arms and I, I remembered laying there and getting ready for them to do my surgery. And I recalled, 
what my Savior had done for me. That's all I remember that day. I had took 13 hours. It was March the 6th before they were done early in the morning and they came out and told my wife and girls that it had gone well, that I was okay. Uh, the next thing I remember, and I don't know how many days had passed, but I woke up and was still intubated. That is never pleasant. Um, and it took them a day or two after I woke up to take that out and Everything kind of runs together from that point. But here's what I would say. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, with all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all oh, uh, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits because he delivered my life from the pit. That word pit means Sheol, which is the place of death. He literally snatched me from the grave and he healed all of my diseases. It was a while. I, I tried to die again. I got a severe, I, I don't even really know, to be honest with you. I got a terrible infection in my lungs or around my lungs. I had to do another surgery of some sort to correct that and I was intubated again and I remember waking up from that. I didn't even know I went in. I didn't even know any of this was happening. I have no memory of it. I've just been told about it. Uh, but I remember sometime afterwards they told me that I had more tubes in addition to all the ones that were protruding from my body from the transplant. I had more uh, sticking out. Uh, but I began to improve and little by little I begin to improve. You know, it takes a toll on you to be in bed that long, to be that sick. I, uh, earlier this winter, I was thinking, man, this is my first time, first winter back in Michigan. And then it occurred to me, no, dummy, you were here all last year. You just never got out of bed all winter. They began, I finally got strong enough. They began setting me up on the side of the bed and they finally decided that, that I could get out of the bed. They were gonna get me up and put me in a chair. And I was here in the bed and this is where the chair was. It was literally that close. All I had to do was stand up and turn my butt and sit down. A woman from physical therapy came in and my nurse came in and these two ladies are trying to get me up turn and in the chair. They said, okay, we did it on the count of three, one, two, three, and the next thing I know, all three of us are in my bed together. <laughs> I had dreamed of such things as a teenager. <laughs> it was nothing like I thought it might be. They are mortified, afraid they have hurt me, and I'm laughing like a fool. <laughs> I was a little worried where my hands may have gone, but everybody was fine. <laughs> for then on, for the next several attempts to get me out of the bed, they brought a crane into the room. Uh, they have a polite, they call it a Hoyer lift, but it's just a small crane. And they get me out of the bed and set me in a chair and little by little I got stronger and better. Eventually 
I began to be able to stand on my own and began to take some steps. Uh, again, they had to put me in a crane the first time they helped me walk up steps because I had no strength really to do that, but I needed to practice doing it. And for weeks, they worked with me to get me stronger and better. And eventually, after 98 days, I got to go home. David said, he satisfied, he, he crowned you with loving kindness and tender mercies. I took a dive into that one time to try to figure out what that means. And what it means is he does loving things to us, not because of our measure, not because of our worth, but because he loves us. And, and, and God poured out these things in my life. Uh, he rescued me uh, in an amazing way, in a remarkable way, all because of his love. I was actually intubated three times, and when, at the end of it all, my left vocal cord was paralyzed. I could not talk, which is a big deal for a man who had made his living talking. Uh, they did a couple of surgeries. They did a little bit of help. Finally, they got me where I could talk of a sorts. And uh, I, was, I went home and got well enough, and finally, I actually began to tell my story a few times. I went and told my story to a ministerial group of men that I had... Uh, 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 been pastors with when I was in Warren and I told them this story and they gathered around me that day and laid hands on me and prayed for me and God healed my voice right then just like that the next week I saw my ENT the last time he had seen me a, a month before my vocal cord was paralyzed and his surgery had helped some uh, but there was still work to be done, and he had said, I'm not sure what to do. I need to consult some uh, other doctors. But that day when he went into my throat and looked at my vocal cords, he said, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> and he always, when he's done, uh, helps, shows me on the screen what he has seen. And he said, Mr. Allen, what do you see? I said, I see that vocal cord moving. He said, I'm not sure how to explain that. I said, well, I can. And I told him about my brothers praying for me and God healing me that day. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, with all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He delivers your life uh, from the pit. He heals all of your diseases. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. And he satisfies your mouth with good things that your youth is renewed as the eagles. I'm not sure it was literal, but on March the 2nd of last year, the buzzards were circling over me, waiting to pick my bones. 
but now God has blessed me and I soar as an eagle. I wonder why. I've never asked why did this happen to me. It don't matter to me. I know why he did it. He did it to show me his great love and, and his great power so that I could be here this morning and tell you that God loves you. For God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to this song about the love of God.
God loves you this morning. He died for you. The most amazing thing, even more amazing than the story that I just told you, happened to me on a Thursday night in July in 1971. I was in the Milton, at the Milton Frank Stadium out in the parking lot. And a college kid named Mark shared the gospel with me. I'd grown up in church. I was active in church. I was serving in my church, but I was lost. I was highly religious, but bound for hell. But he shared the gospel with me that night. He told me why I needed Jesus. He told me that I had sinned and my sin had separated me from God. But the amazing thing that even though I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And that if I would believe that and put my faith in that and give God my life, he would change it. And I said a simple little prayer that day, asking God to forgive me of my sin and pledging to love him the rest of my life. And you know what? He forgave me and began changing my life, which has continued to this day, that bore me through the valley of the shadow of death. And I bless the Lord with all my soul. With everything that is within me, I bless his holy name. I bless the Lord, oh my soul, and I try not to forget any of his benefits. Now here's your takeaway today. If you're a believer here this morning, I say to you that God is so great and he is so good, he is worthy of all you are and all that you have. And if you've never yet taken that step to follow Christ in faith, I say to you, maybe you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ. You're not a Christ follower. But the benefits of God are so great why wouldn't you take your next step to Jesus today? He's waiting to receive you. He'd love to have you. And all those benefits will be yours just as soon as you trust him. Father, thank you so much for what you've done for me. Thank you, God, for this group of folks, these here in this room and those watching online. God, this has been your story. A story of your greatness and your great love and grace. And God, I suspect it's touched someone's heart. God, I pray that you will help them step in your direction today. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. y'all enjoyed Pastor Leo today. It's a walking miracle. I talk about a couple takeaways. And maybe you're here this morning. There's a common denominator in everything we've done today. And all the songs, everything that we've heard 
that at the end of the day, God loves you. And we can find our perfect peace no matter what storms of life come by. He carries us through. And maybe you're here today, you've never experienced Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today, what's holding you back to taking that next step? I know we've already prayed, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a minute. Just close your eyes with me for one second and just got, I don't know Jesus. I cannot experience his peace without him. And I don't understand everything about the love of God. But I do want to experience it. And if that's you today, the Bible says all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. And you shall be saved. You have to call on me. You're not going to call on Pastor Larry or any one of us. There's a God in heaven who's here in this room listening to you cry out in the quietness of your heart and he hears you. You can pray a prayer like this. It's a dear God, I am a sinner. I need you in my life to forgive me of my sins. You died on the cross for me so that I could have eternal life. The greatest benefit, eternal life. Come into my life, come into my heart, and be my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. No eyes looking, head bowed, says, God, I pray that prayer today. And today I ask Jesus to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. No one's looking, but if that's you, I'm, I'm looking. I want to see who you are. And if that's you, we just simply raise your hand. Is there anybody in this room today? I say, I ask Jesus just now, today, I invited him to my life. God, we thank you for the message that we've heard. We thank you that you are still you are still changing lives and performing miracles even today. And so God, we thank you for what we've heard. God, I pray that we walk not in fear, but in perfect peace whose heart and mind is on you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.